Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Good morning, everybody. We are studying the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus and the surrounding churches, the churches in the region, because this was a circular, this was meant to be circulated. And uh, we're in chapter 5. I'm going to comment briefly once again, as I have I think every week, on the arrangement, the brilliant arrangement of this letter, how the first half of it is this is just jammed with these glorious truths about who we are in Christ. It gets you pumped up to realize that you are forgiven, accepted, elevated with Christ, full of the Spirit, and loved by God. And then when it gets to the part about the outworking of all that, it is so practical, and is so real, and it's challenging. Uh, But it brings you up to this spiritual high and says, so guess what you can do? Guess what you should do as a result of all this spiritual strength and right standing with God? You should work hard. Be honest. Be kind. Be nice. Put evil away from your life. Lay certain things aside and put on the new man. Walk in the light. And in doing so, you will expose the deeds of darkness. We wrapped up, uh, well, came close to wrapping up, Well, let's look at it anyway. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 17, it says, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. This idea of mutual submission is the thing to keep in mind when we get into the next part of this. Because it's an overarching principle of biblical, spiritual Christian fellowship. And then he begins to share some specific instructions that reveal God's plan for order in the home and in society. And we read last week, beginning in verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And this is what we talked about last week. I encourage you to get it because there's a lot of misunderstanding in a a society that is pretty well represented by radical feminists. This is the kind of verse, this is probably the verse that sets people off. Wives, submit to your husbands. This is archaic. Can you find me a translation of the Bible that doesn't say that? Okay. Uh, but we explained that. We, we, I'm not going to re-preach last week, but I encourage you to get it. But I will share this. This is from the note in the uh, Spirit-Filled Life Bible. It says, these verses... Well, actually, let me, uh, let's read on here. 
beginning verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish, uh, talking about the church. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies, for he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Uh, And it goes on. We'll read a little bit more here in a minute. But here's what this comment says. These verses put such demands upon the Christian husband that it is impossible to see how a charge of male chauvinism could justly be made against the Bible or how a license to exploit women or wives could ever be claimed from such texts. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. So when it says here... uh, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved, also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water of the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that, these, that she should be holy and without blemish. There are a couple of things about this that we need to pay attention to. Uh, when washing. Washing of the water of the word. Why do we wash things? To remove dirt, stains, pollutants, right? And we have bought things, most of us have. My wife has a great eye for what something like an old piece of furniture or a shutter or a window or something. She can spot, a, spot something in a pile of junk. And I know she's not the only one. And she can look at it and say, I can imagine what that can look like. If I spend 72 hours sanding and painting and distressing, no, whatever. Uh, cleaning it up. An old table. Uh, Riley. I, I bought a, this probably grossed some people out. Some people would never do this. I'll buy used shoes. Uh, at a garage sale or uh, I was actually at Salvation Army the other day and they had a pair of Nike shocks. Uh, that fit me. And I thought, this is great. You know, a pair of shoes for cleaning the garage, lawn, lawn mowing, things like that. Uh, three bucks. You know, perfect. And when I brought them home, Riley says, Dad, those shoes brand new are $185. And he's looking at them. And I know, he's like, I can clean these up. I don't think he's thinking about selling them or he just wants them to look good on me. I see an old pair of shoes I could, that, that are comfortable and they're only $3. He's like, this is something valuable. Uh, or, you know, some, anything like that. You see something, uh, or a car. You know, I, if I see a, a car that is sitting on no tires, it's, ha- it's halfway on the ground, and it's dirty, and it doesn't run, that to me is a worthless thing. But there are some people who are like, I can get that thing up and running. That is such a beautiful machine. It is worth the work to restore it. Uh, just needs some TLC, and it, be- it can become what only the person who's paying for it, only the person who sees the value in it, can see. And Jesus bought us like that. And he paid with his life. Even when we were a wreck, when we were filthy, when we were worth nothing, ultimately, to the world or to anybody, we were worth to Jesus. He sees us as we can be. He sees our potential. He loves us like we are. But he has no intention of leaving us like we are. Says so right here. He loves us. So he gave his life and shed his blood to cleanse us. To wash us. I stumbled across an article the other day. I get, uh, I, I, 
I don't know if one's any better or worse than the other. My home page is uh, MSN, and I know they're all, they all have their flaws and their faults, but you know, it's got a, a search engine that I like, and it'll scroll through about 25 uh, headline stories. Uh, and one of these, and, and so much of it, and this really bothers me, is how much of the news is entertainment news. I'm talking the headline stuff. I know they got a, you can scroll down and get the entertainment section. I don't. I'm just not interested. But the headline stuff, the stuff that comes up right there on the banner, is, you know, what, which, Karda- which Kardashian is doing what, and who's having a sex change this week, and, and what su- such and such a movie star thinks about politics. I don't care about any of that. I really don't. Uh, so it amazes me how much headline news space things like Game of Thrones gets. And something I've never seen a minute of. And another thing I've never seen a minute of is The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. But this is what the headline news story was about. There was, did anybody see this? There was a, there was a contestant, and I still haven't seen a minute of it. Um, the, the, the Bachelorette, and I guess the deal is, you know, she goes on a series of dates with different guys and then chooses one to possibly pursue marital bliss with. And uh, the Bachelorette is a Christian, and she has been fairly outspoken about being a Christian. And one of the contestants vying for her love and attention is also a Christian. And apparently a pretty dedicated one. Now, I don't know why anybody who's a dedicated Christian would pursue a relationship like that, but whatever. I can't point to chapter and verse saying that's wrong. But he says something to her on the show, I guess, uh, where he says, let's talk about how the marriage bed should remain pure. And goes on to say that if she had had uh, sex with any of these other contestants, while, you know, because she goes on these dates, and, you know, if if your dates include uh, physical intimacy with them, I'm not really interested and she went off and admitted that she had indeed been physical with these guys. Some of them anyway. And who was he to judge? She claimed her faith had grown so much and meant so much to her. And being a Christian was such a huge part of her life. But there's a difference between Christianity and judgmentalism. And here is the headline making quote. This is a quote. I can do whatever I want. I sin daily and Jesus still loves me. Now, I sin daily and Jesus still loves me. I can get behind that. But there's something twisted and unbiblical about saying, therefore, I can do whatever I want. Do you see the difference? It's insulting. Jesus loves me, so he bought me, but he makes it clear his intention to change me into the man that only he could see when he bought me. I don't get to say to Jesus, you knew what I was when you paid for me. Don't go trying to change me now. You just take me as I am. And then out of the other side of our mouths, we say things like, how could a loving God send people to hell? You see, Jesus is saying, I'm making you fit for heaven. And you're like, I don't want any part of that. Now who's sending who to hell? Anyway, back to Ephesians 5. Because the other side of this is beautiful. 
See how it says, without spot or blemish? You ever read that and you think, wow, you know, I'm trying. And I know I'm getting better, but I've got a long way to go. Without spot or blemish, are you really saying, before he can present me to himself, before I am fit for the manifest presence of God, I've got to be, I've got to achieve sinless perfection because that's what without spot or blemish looks like to me. And not just me, but the church. But you know what? When I see the word spot and wrinkle, I'm not thinking about wrinkled skin and age spots. I'm thinking about laundry. Right? Washing these spots out and ironing to get the wrinkles out. Earlier in Ephesians, we read this. Put off the old man and put on Christ. Put it off, put it on. Like what? Changing clothes. What are we clothed with, church? I'm clothed with the righteousness of Christ himself. It is his righteousness that is utterly without spot and wrinkle. That's how he can present us to himself that way. The laundry, the ironing was done at the cross, but all these admonitions hold true. There's a covering over us while a change continues to take place in us under that covering. We will be free of sin when we are free from the presence of sin in this world. Meanwhile, we are clothed with his righteousness. And it just is not befitting a child of the king to say, therefore, I can do whatever I want. Because there really is a change that is taking place. We're going to kind of circle back around to that in a minute. I think, but I do need to move on to some other stuff here. But uh, let's pick it up in verse 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Again, if, we, if men would take this seriously. You know, there's just a, a verse there about wives submitting to your husbands, and then there's a whole passage there about husbands, how they are to love their wives. So you're one flesh. If you love yourself, and you do, you need to really cherish and nourish and honor and take care of your wife because it's good for you if you do. This is, you know... I think the message Bible here says, when mama's happy, everybody's happy. I like the message. I'm just kidding. Now, there's that uh, love your own wife as yourself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I'll just throw this out there as a recommendation. There's a book many of you have read called Love and Respect, talking about the different needs, how... and it's not just an either or, but it's a book I highly recommend. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great one about understanding that. But there is this general 
Remember, it starts with this mutual submission. Submit to one another. Now, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. And there's this mutual submitting to one another. And there's husbands giving themselves to their wives. And now, chapter 6. Verse 1, probably the first memory verse for a lot of children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. What is that promise? Verse 3, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. Now, children... It does not say, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for they are right. Or they are always right. Obey your children in the Lord, for this is right. Now, this is something you've got to be super careful with. When we were back in Romans, we talked about, we should have talked about, when it talked about uh, authorities that God has placed in our lives, like government, and how we're to submit to those and honor those in authority. There's the issue that comes up, well, what if the official authority is clearly, has legalized something that you are against, in fact, is enforcing something that you believe biblically is a sin? Who do we obey, man or God? Well, we obey God. So is the law of submission and authority still in effect? The way I was taught this at Rama, we had a whole class, by the way, most of you know this, an uh, eight-week course on submission and authority taught by Brother Keith Moore. Powerful class where he talks about orders. Who's suppo- biblically, who submits to who? Because it's, it's not just everybody here submit to God and everybody will be okay. Uh, and we t- so we talked quite a bit about government. And he said, you know, there's it's this kind of hard, although it's much easier now than it was when I was at Ramah, to get our head around the idea that there's going to be some serious legal challenges to us living out our Christian faith. They're right around the corner. So what do we do? Well, the Bible says to submit to authority, so if they say, throw my Bible away, what are you going to do? Not going to do that, are you? What, so you but here's the way, here was the phrase that sticks in my mind. You are still in submission if you submit to the penalty. Okay? Pay the fine, go peacefully to jail, whatever. There was a uh, girl I knew in high school, I've told stories about her before, she was a Mormon, and I spent a lot of time trying to convert her, and, uh, and I wasn't the only one, but I did have the privilege of praying a sinner's prayer with her over the phone, and I was so excited. So I went to this other friend and said, did you hear? She got saved. And he's like, yes, I heard. We're hugging each other. We're celebrating. And... Her parents. Now, I have gotten, I've known Mormons. I've been friends with Mormons. And they are salt of the earth people. They are lovely people. A lot going for them. They really are nice, okay? But they're wrong doctrinally. And, but they'll say, we believe the same Bible. We believe the Bible too. And the Bible they have is the same Bible. It's just that that's not all they believe. They've got their Book of Mormon, Pearl of Great Price, Doctrine and Covenants. And what they really believe are those other things. How do I know this? Because when this girl gave her life to Christ, her parents took her Bible away from her. Now why? If they believe the Bible. They took the Bible away from her and locked her up in a room with the Book of Mormon. 
But they say the same thing. They just compliment each other. Well, they obviously don't. Now, just have to do with what we're talking about. Children, if your parents... You know, it's nice to look at this as you've got two Christian parents who love the Lord and love their kids and are, uh, they have nothing, their only desire is to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And kids, they, might, they have this rebellious streak and it's the parents' job to shape them and move them in the right direction. And here we've got the Bible on our side saying, children, obey your parents in the Lord. If you just do everything your parents do, tell you to do, everything will be great. But that's not always the case, is it? You might have a child who has come to Christ and his parents are very anti-church, anti-Christ. And so what if they say, I don't want you reading your Bible. Who do you obey here? My personal opinion on this, I don't think there's a right way to read scripture. Uh, I, I don't think there's another way to read scripture. I think that the, the child, you, you can, I think you need to read your Bible. And whatever punishment, unless they physically take it from you. If there is a clear anti-Christian, anti-biblical rule, you still have to remain loyal to God, but submit to the penalty. I, I think these cases, you know, in our society are relatively rare, but they're certainly not in Arab societies, Muslim societies. Okay? I'm bringing that up because... Your parents will tell you from time to time, and you can share this with your children, because I know some of them are in class now. Some children are in here. Your children will tell you to do something sometimes that has nothing to do with the Bible, but you disagree with it. You don't think it's fair. I shouldn't have to pick up the living room because not all this stuff is my stuff. And I'm just pulling random examples out of the air. Nothing like this ever happens in my house, for instance. I'm not picking up Riley's socks. I'm not picking up Rainey's plate. Those, they never leave anything in the living room, so again, I'm making this stuff up. But if I tell them to clean up a particular room or a particular area, the first thing out of their mouth might be, for example, I'm only getting my stuff. And if we come back and say, no, you're going to get the whole living room, and you're going to get the whole back room or the hallway or whatever, it might not seem fair to them, and it might not be fair. But it's not an issue that biblically you can take your stand on. You know what the Bible says about that? Obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Not they are right, but this is right. And if you do that, what happens? God honors you with long life, right? With a life that goes well. Children who are dead set in clinging to the belief that I know better... Therefore, I will defy my parents. You are defying God. Good luck with that. You will not win. You are setting yourself up for failure. And you are risking two things. One, that life will not go well. And two, life will not last long. That's just for disobeying. You should never strike your parents. I was raised believing that if you struck your parents, you hit your mom, your arms stick up out of your graves, right? Is that what you used to tell us? Did anybody ever hear that? Anybody else ever hear that? I think that was a pure, that was a, grand, that was a grandma Oaks, wasn't it? Yeah. Weird stuff I had to be delivered from when I came to Christ. So kids, you might disagree 
But if it's not on biblical grounds, you are defying God, and that is not where you want to find yourself. Verse 4, you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Here we have the flip side, just like we have with husbands and wives. You have to do your, and, and it says fathers, and so the burden is on the fathers, but it clearly applies to both parents. You have to do your best to represent God. There is an attack on the family. There has been for some time. The idea of a nuclear family where you've got a husband and a wife with their children is such an antiquated notion now. There are so many legitimate expressions of family. This idea of a man and wife and children. It can be two women. It can be two men. They don't have, it can be a single mom, single father. If, and they just choose to live this way. Uh, it's God's plan is for man and women and their children. Man and woman and their children. Man and women. Man and woman and their children. So you got, so you got Mormons on the mind. Okay? Uh, and we have to, we, we need to be endeavoring to model God to them. We can't be just cracking the whip. We're giving them a wrong picture of God. And in this society, probably the, the biggest attack on families has been the attack on fathers, on men, and, and so many children being raised with no father in the house. No father in their life. Or an abusive father. And what happens as a result? Well, the, the fullest expression that God gives us of himself is as God the Father. And that's a phrase that either means something very negative or means nothing to a significant number of children in our society. So the devil knows what he's doing. We're not unaware of his tactics. So those of us who are fathers, we really have to step up. We have to endeavor and commit and remember the fact that we are Our main role is to represent God to our children. And if what we do instead is exasperate them, provoking them to wrath, then at, at worst we drive them away from God, and at best we give them a picture of God that is a wrathful, vengeful God. Verse 5. Bond servants, read this as employees. Be obedient to those who are your masters or your bosses or employers. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anybody does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Once again, employees, you might have an unreasonable boss. He might not deserve your loyal service. He might not deserve your best or your hard work but you do it anyway for God's sake. Again, unless it is a sin or biblical issue, if you are cheating your boss, you are cheating God. 
If you are disrespectful to your boss, you are disrespectful to God. If you are defying your boss's wishes and orders and directions, you are defying God. You do these things because you're doing them for Christ. I learned this lesson. I've shared it before. I'll I'll share this story again very, very quickly. Uh, I worked for a hard, hard man out of uh, my very first ministry job. I was excited to go. I went down there. I worked for this guy. And I kind of went in with my eyes open. I had heard some things. But what an honor it was going to be to work for this guy. And I have to tell you, to this day. And I've worked a number of jobs. I've never worked for a guy who was more unreasonable. And I'll just leave it at that. I could use other adjectives. (laughs) And he's gone. He's in heaven now. Uh, And and I don't want to, you know, speak only good of the dead, right? Uh, and God clearly used this man in this ministry uh, to prepare me for the things I'm doing today. Uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience that I would never, that I would not repeat for a million dollars. But I wouldn't, but I wouldn't trade it for a million dollars, okay? But I found myself at, at one particular trying season as we were getting ready to take a trip somewhere, just dreading every time that I'd hear the door open, wondering if it was him coming in. I don't want, I can't deal with him today. He had just been, and I could tell you specific stories. I mean, and they they would make you go, how could you work for such a man? Only way I could. I literally got to the point where it's like, I know I'm here because God called me here. Because this is, this is a, I've never worked for a guy like this before. And I made the mistake one time of, of saying, you know, somebody came in and said, hey, is, uh, is he going with us on this trip? And I just said, man, I hope not. That's all I said. And then he came into my office and said, I heard you're hoping I don't come on this trip. Did you say that? I said, yeah, I did. Why do you hate me so much? Do you know how much I love you? Do you know how much I pray for you? Why would you say such a hateful thing? I said, man, I don't hate you. You've just been very difficult for me to be around lately. I don't, you know, I don't enjoy you. And, and you've made life very difficult. And he says, do you understand the pressure that's on me? Do you understand that this ministry rests? Uh, and he gives me this very correct <laughs> um, interpretation of how things were. Here I was thinking about how hard this was on me. And I hadn't spent a moment really praying for him and considering how much pressure was on him and how much he himself meant to this ministry. And this was a, a ministry that was getting nationwide attention at the time. And man, it just convicted me. I mean, here I am struggling to feel justified and all my arguments are just dissolving. Like, oh man. The bottom line was this. Even if my assessment of him as a boss was correct, I had dishonored him. I was working as unto him rather than as unto Jesus. I've often said, I learned about submission and authority at Ramah, but I learned submission and authority at Canaan land. You don't know what submission is until you have to do something that you disagree with. There are... Uh, you're looking for one more great example of submission, biblical submission. The best one is Jesus Christ in the garden. Do you remember when he's praying? This is right before he's crucified. And what does he say? If there's any other way, 
let this cup pass from me. And the very next thing out of his mouth is, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. This is Jesus, the man, knowing he was about to face all the horror, the physical and spiritual horror of the cross. Does it shake your faith to believe that he didn't want to do that? Does it shake your faith to read that he prayed that prayer? Let this cup pass from me. And how do you think the father felt about that, by the way? Do you think that God has no feelings? This is his son, his beloved son, his son from before creation, his eternal son, but also the son that had been given as a baby to the earth, grown up, with whom he was well pleased, getting ready to go to the cross for sinful man that had rebelled against him, and this son now is saying, if there's any other way, I want out of this. What do you as God the Father do? Thank God his next prayer was, but thy will be done. God does have feelings. He operates, though, in perfect love and with perfect judgment. The judge of all the earth will do right. It's not that there are no emotions in the Godhead. It's that the Godhead is not ruled by emotions. But they rule us sometimes, don't they? We, in practical effect, submit often. But what we submit to are our emotions, our temptation, our lusts, our appetites, our selfishness, our sin. And all these things are going to be there as long as we're on the earth, but we need not submit to them. Our mind should be like Christ's, and we submit to God, and we submit to one another. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Parents, remember that your children, if saved, are also your brothers and sisters in Christ. Remember that if they're not yet saved, you are the best picture they can have of God. Employees, God is your ultimate boss. Your boss might not act like God, but you are to do what you are hired to do and do the job as well as you would if Jesus Christ were CEO. Employers, treat your employees like you would. I didn't read that verse, did I? And you masters, verse 9, do the same things to them, giving giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. So employers, you treat your employees like you would want to be treated if they were your boss. You have a boss too, And you are all level in his economy. And he sees. If you are cheating your employees, you are cheating God. If you are abusing your employees, you are abusing the Lord Jesus Christ. This is hard stuff. It's challenging stuff. And it goes against our sin nature. That's what makes it tough. You go back to chapters 1 through 3. And be encouraged, because guess what? You have a new nature. You don't have to do this in your own strength. You have the Spirit of God in you. You are in Him. The power is there. There are gifts in the body to help you along the way in that transformation. And 
This is not all about you. The world needs to see the difference between Christian marriages and non-Christian marriages. They need to see the difference in Christian families, Christian employees, Christian bosses. This is important, not just for our blessing, but so that the world can see the difference. Because that difference can change the world. Praise and worship team, come on up here. If there's going to be a difference in Christian families, Christian marriages, Christian uh, workplaces, you got to be a Christian. Stand up with me, everybody. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.